remember the four words and especially the abbreviation WWJD stood for what would Jesus do? In the 1890s, those four particular words became a household phrase for members of the Central Congregational Church in Topeka, Kansas, where Charles Sheldon preached. He preached a series of sermons about that very thing. And after these stories were published in 1896, that little phrase, what would Jesus do, became a worldwide trend among Christians. The book sold millions of copies, and a century later, the phrase became a secular craze or phase, if you want to call it, after being reduced to the acronym WWJD and had it printed on bracelets. Aren't you just jealous that you're not the, that, isn't it just, doesn't it drive you crazy that you couldn't think of a little bracelet like that? And, you know, I mean, we would be, we would have a lot of money, as Coach talked about today, to do a lot of great things with, but that's not the case. You and I didn't come up with that. Somebody did, but a lot of people wore those bracelets. What would Jesus do? Now, as Christians, here's what we kind of figured out. We kind of figured that if we knew what Jesus would do, then we would know how to respond to any given situation at any time in our walk with him. But there's a flaw in that line of thinking, and it can be a deadly one for us. Because what we're trying to do here is to determine how Jesus would respond in, in a specific situation as if Jesus lived from moment to moment. Now here's the flaw that I want to point out. And I love the stories, I love the writings behind this, so I'm not, I'm not trying to put aside what Charles Sheldon did at all. I love the thought. But the thing that we as Christians kind of grabbed onto was this. Let's just kind of see moment to moment what Jesus would do. Well, the problem with that line of thinking is this. Jesus didn't live from moment to moment. He lived a life that was rooted in the overall lifestyle that helped him maintain an inner balance and a strong connection with his father. That's the kind of life that Jesus has called us to. Not just moment to moment. And in this world that we live in, man, we do that, don't we? We just live moment to moment, day by day, just doing one thing after another. And the problem with that, when you reduce that down to Christianity, is it's a whole lot bigger than just moment to moment. It is a way of life. I remember walking in to one of my Bible classes at ACU one morning, and the professor had written on the board this phrase, Christianity is not just a part of my life, it is a way of life. And so when we take up the cross, when we deny ourselves, 
and take up the cross and follow Jesus and follow after him. It's not just from moment to moment. It is every day, every life, every moment, every minute that counts as we try to root ourselves into the life that Jesus lived. And so over the next few weeks, here's what I want us to do. And I want you to look over to my left, to your right, and you'll see uh, as a part of our vision, that first part that we're going through is this idea of connecting with God. And over the last few weeks, as we have gone back to an, an Old Testament book called Habakkuk, what we learned with the idea of worship is this. We worship God even when we don't feel like it. Even when things are not ideal, even when circumstances around us are not just the best, what Habakkuk taught us was this. We worship God anyway. We worship God because it is who we are and it's who God has made us. He's made us to worship him. And so the idea of connecting with God, if you look on page 5, I'm going to read this to remind us uh, from our vision what we have prayed for for this church. The individuals that make up Lamar Avenue family will be encouraged and expected to follow the way of Christ by committing to and practicing spiritual disciplines in our lives. Spiritual disciplines are nothing more than habits formed in order to purposely connect with God. They're inspired by Christ himself and include study and meditation and solitude and fasting and prayer and the like. These practices allow us, listen to this, to interact with God and when we interact with him, he transforms us to be more like him. That's what Paul prayed for in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17 and 18. And so these are the lifelong practices, just as ours is a lifelong transformation into the likeness of Christ. Now there's a verse that I'm going to refer to probably every week to get us to be thinking about what this means. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to look in Matthew in just a minute. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 4, and I want you to jump down to verse 19. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. This is what Paul writes. He says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, And I want you to look at this next phrase. Until Christ is formed, where? In you. I want you to listen to that little phrase. Until Christ is formed in you. Church, what we do as we take up the cross and as we live a life followers of Christ what we pray for daily is that Christ is formed in our life so that when people see us who do they really see who do they really get a glimpse of not not me not Terrence 
I've already told Terrence I was going to pick on him this morning. Not Kyle, not Lewis. When people see us, we pray that people can see Christ living in us until Christ is formed in you. I love what Dallas Willard writes along this thought. He said, so the idea conveyed is an absolutely fatal one, that to follow him simply means to try to behave as he did when he was on the spot, under pressure or persecution or in the spotlight. And so here's the idea behind this thought. There's really no realization that what Jesus did in such cases was, in a large measure, the natural outflow of the life he lived when not on the spot. Because you see, as you and I make our way in life every day, it's not just doing the right thing at the right moment, it's doing the right thing all the time. Because what we begin to see is God is always there. God is always watching you. And so what we pray is that there's a whole lot more of him in our lives and a lot less of self. And over the next few weeks, as we look at these disciplines, and I know when you think about these disciplines, for a lot of us, you're like, man, what are spiritual disciplines? You get to stay tuned for the next few weeks as we go through some of these. Two of the ones that you and I have put into practice a lot, Bible study and prayer. But there's a host of others that when we really put them into practice, they are helping us to become more like Christ, till Christ is formed again in us. And so I think the foundation for learning about the spiritual disciplines takes place in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 11, the foundation. Listen to these words in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what we were pleased to do. All things have been committed to be by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to Him. Here's the invitation of a lifetime. And this is where it's wrapped up in. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Listen to those words. What is the yoke that Jesus is talking about here? You see, to accept Jesus' invitation is to live out his way of life. You see, in Jesus' day, the rabbinical teachings had become so massive and so demanding and so all-encompassing that they prescribed standards and formulas for virtually 
every human activity that you could ever imagine. Okay? So I want you to keep that in mind. But it was all impossible even to learn all the traditions, and it was completely impossible to keep them all. It's one thing to learn them. It's one thing to kind of memorize them. It's another thing to actually follow them out and live them out every day of life. And so Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, he begins to speak of the heavy loads of all this religious tradition that the scribes and the Pharisees were putting on people. Jesus talks about how it's so heavy and and it, it weighs you down. And then at the Jerusalem Council, Peter noted that the Judaizers were doing the same thing and they were trying to saddle Christianity with this same man-made yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear in Acts chapter 15, verse 10. So here's what we've got to do. We've got to determine what is a part of my life. Is it from man or is it from God? And church, there's a big difference, amen? What we put upon ourselves weighs us down. The invitation that Jesus comes along and says, come follow me, all ye who are weary and burdened, are there days where we're down and out? Are there days where we're weary? That's not the life that Jesus has called us to. And so Jesus says, when you come to me, There's a little phrase in there that he uses that I'm not sure that we've really picked up on very often. It says, learn from me. When we come to Jesus and we learn who he is and who he was about and his lifestyle and all of that, we begin to see when we come to Jesus and we learn from him, it's not burdensome. He's come to lift us up. He's come to lift all those things that man has put upon our shoulders. And so what is that yoke? A yoke was a carved piece of wood that was fitted to the neck and shoulders of a particular animal. It was part of a harness used as means of controlling and guiding the animal. Whether it was oxen, it could be donkeys, it could be mules... And in many instances, they would work in pairs and they would work together to perform that work. And so when you look at it, when you're doing it in pairs, it doesn't weigh a single animal down as much as it would if you do it with two. Because they carry the load and they carry and work with each other. So here's what the yoke was. The yoke was a symbol of submission of a student being in submission to his teacher and learning from him. And I want to stop right there for a minute because you kind of got to to get this right in your mind, okay? In a relationship with God, you and I are the students, okay? In a relationship with God, I hate to tell you that this morning, you're not in charge, okay? You're not in control. You are the student in submission to your teacher. In church, who's our teacher? Who's the master teacher? It's Jesus himself. 
Jesus, the invitation is, when you come to me, the master teacher, what are you automatically going to receive? You're going to learn from me. You know, you learn real quick in a marriage relationship. It goes like this. Men, you may be the head of the household, but here's what Carrie Ann's grandfather told us as we married. Your grandmother knows that I am the head of the house. She, however, is the neck. Let that soak in for a minute, okay? Men, you can laugh all you want, but you know it's true, okay? In a loving submission relationship, you've got to know who's in charge. And in our relationship with God, you and I are not good enough. We're not suited enough to be in charge. God knows best, right? And so Jesus, the master teacher, is the one that's who's in charge. We're the students. And we soak it all up and we learn from him. Ancient Jewish writings would put it like this. You put your neck under the yoke and let your soul receive instruction. I love that. Listen to it again. Put your neck under the yoke and let your soul receive instruction. Isn't that what we all need in our relationship with God? Our souls need to be revived. Our souls need to receive instruction from the master teacher. And as we, as our souls receive that, you know what begins to happen? That burden that we carry around begins to lift because we begin to realize that's not from God. That's not what Jesus has intended to do is to put all of that burdensome thing on you. It's to lift you out of all of that. And so a yoke also symbolizes obedience. And Christian, Christian obedience includes learning from Christ. Again, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And so here's what happens. The yoke that we wear is heavy with all the do's and don'ts of living and all the legalisms that are placed upon us. Our life becomes oppressed by the burden placed on us as mankind, just like the ancient Israelites were oppressed by Pharaoh or like the Jews of Jesus' day were burdened by the legalism placed on them by the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus comes to help us realize that is not the life that you're called to live. You are called to live a life of submission, yes, but submitting to the lordship of Jesus. And for far too long in our walk with him, I think you look around at Christians today 
And I think we're worn out and we're weary and we're tired because we're being led by something else other than Jesus himself. And I don't know what that may be for you. But I'll tell you this, whatever it is, Jesus has the power to lift it off and to place his power back where it needs to be. And church, let me tell you something. When those things are lifted away from us, that's why Paul says there is freedom in Christ. There's no freedom with all, those, with all the legalism and all the list of do's and don'ts. Because listen, if we reduce Christianity down to that, you know what that means? You and I will never be good enough. The only thing that makes us good enough is to be in a relationship with the one who created us. That's it. You can't work it. You can't do enough to earn it. All you have to do is say, I accept it. And when we begin to live out these disciplines, we begin to see the difference that Christ can make in our life. I love the writings of G.K. Chesterton. And he wrote this very insightful thought when he said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. Boy, you look at that quote and you're like, man, that's a pretty serious statement about Christianity. Why would he say such a broad thing like that? Folks, do you realize there's a lot of people in our world that look at Christianity and say, you know, it's almost impossible to be that kind of person. Or it's almost impossible to live that kind of life. And I think a lot of times people make that statement under false pretenses because they don't see, they don't really see the life that Jesus has called us to. They see a life that we have put upon ourselves. And, and when you look at that, boy, I see a lot of you nodding like this. It's burdensome, isn't it? You just want some relief. And the only way to do that is to not be a part of that because it's not from God. It's not from the master teacher. And so when you take up the cross and you follow after Jesus, you begin to realize, as John says in 1 John, his burden, his commandments are not burdensome. Did you hear that? His commandments are not burdensome. I love over in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, you observe this saying, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Isn't that interesting? The way of the unfaithful is hard. Dallas Willard goes on in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, and he says it like this. To depart from righteousness is to choose a life of crushing burdens and failures and disappointments. A life that's caught in the toils of endless problems that are never resolved. But here's the source of that unending soap opera that sometimes horror show known as normal human life. And he goes on to say the cost of discipleship though it may take all we have, is small when compared to the lot of those who don't accept Christ's invitation to
to be a part of his company in the way of life. I love those words. When you accept what I consider the greatest invitation of all, when you accept that invitation to come to Jesus and to learn from him, amazing things will take place in your relationship with God. Don't you want that, church? Don't we desire that for Christ to be formed in us every day of life? And so as we close this morning, I want to close with this question. Why? Why are the Christian disciplines so important? In a nutshell, because I believe they help us to live a Christ-centered life all the time. All the time. Not just from moment to moment. And it comes from that deep desire within us that that response will be natural because of this. As we live a life for Christ, we just begin to realize it is just who we are. It is who we want to become. Now, will we ever arrive? Will we ever get there? Will we ever be perfect? No. That's why the Christian life is called a race and it's called a journey. It's not a sprint. Doesn't matter who finishes first. What matters is just to finish the race. And when we put these Christian disciplines, these practices, these habits as a part of our life, I hope that we see more freedom that comes as we see things lifted away from us that should have never been there in the first place. So I want you to think about those things. And as we stand to sing an invitation song this morning, I want to ask you, where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you? in your walk with the master teacher. Maybe some are here this morning and you've never, you've never made that decision to put Christ on in baptism. Folks, listen. If you want Christ to be formed in you, you have to be in Christ. It's a beautiful place to be. Baptism is a beautiful picture of that marriage that happens between student and his teacher. We put on Christ. Some need to do that this morning. Some may have put it off way too long. Don't do that. Come to him and learn from him. Some may be here this morning and you have so many burdens and so many things that are weighing you down that you just need to be lifted up. Christ is the one that can do that. And so if you're here and you need prayers of this body, there'll be leaders down here this morning to pray over you and to pray for you, for those burdens to be lifted and for Christ to have his way with you in your life. Whatever you need to do. I want you to make that decision right now as we stand and as we sing.